And so they, they went back to some of the vendors and said, we, we need to have a different invoice file come from you. This is what it needs to look like. Well, you can't do that with 50, 60,000 vendors, but you can do it with 100 vendors or 200 vendors. And that made a significant difference in their KPIs by bringing those, those organizations along. And they could see it because they were tracking it at a vendor. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. The large companies that are present in more than 10 countries and have more than 50,000 employees need operational efficiencies at a different scale. The efficiencies at the plant or at the entity level are no longer enough. You need to figure out the shared services model where the lower cost services can be provided by the countries where the costs are likely to be lower. But managing this process requires changes in the systems and processes. You need to share data across the entities and have a shared vision for the entire organization. But executing it is far more difficult than you would think. So how to implement shared services in larger organization? In today's episode, our guest Brian G. Shannon shares his insights into the importance of centralizing shared services for large global rollouts. He also talks about several KPIs such as cycle time and how to measure them to ensure the data quality you expect from your financial processes. Finally, he provides insights into prioritizing the rollouts where multiple countries may be involved with the ERP deployments along with setting the vision for the team. Let me introduce Brian to you. Brian has 25 plus years in finance process re-engineering and optimization with a particular focus on near cash touch points, AR, AP and alignment with supply chain accounting processes. He has executed over 50 projects with large multinational Fortune thousand organizations resulting in significant ROI and cost savings for these companies. Over the course of his career in the capacity of principal consultant, project and program manager, executive sponsor and steering committee chair and with extensive vertical engagement such as automotive, healthcare or pharma, food and beverage, manufacturing, chemical, defense and public sector. He is presently the chief experience officer 
at Gain, where he provides strategic and operational guidance to organizations going through a digital finance transformation journey, requiring some leadership alignment for change initiatives and process and technology awareness for multinational organizations. With that, let's get to the conversation. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I look forward to speaking with you. And I am super excited to have you because the kind of experience that you bring to the table, the complexity of these ERP and the finance transformation rollout, it's going to be so fascinating. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus, Brian? Sure, sure. Uh, so my personal story, um, grew up uh, in Canada. I'm Canadian. I'm a uh, recovering national credit manager. I uh, did that for a few years and then got into uh, a project um, back in the 1990s, if you believe it or not, yeah. um, actually delivering uh, finance uh, type of solutions through SAP for manufacturing organization and uh, have played a primary functional and leadership role in, in many projects from the initial vision setting uh, through the sales response process, yeah. uh, process design, best practice application, all the way the, through the project lifecycle, go live support, things like that. Uh, my, my focus is near cash processes, which would be accounts receivable, accounts payable, and then those uh, affecting general ledger type of uh, transactions. Over the course of my career, I played a, a lead role in several executive level sponsorships of, of projects with Fortune 500 companies and uh, had led a North American fintech organization over the last number of years. We sold the company last year, and uh, so now I'm starting fresh with something uh, new that uh, gives me an opportunity to share my experience and expertise a little differently. It's cool, and it's going to be so much fun uh, to learn from those experiences, and obviously the engagements that you led were slightly larger uh, you know, in scale, and we can always learn from these opportunities. My uh, listeners are going to be SMB, but there are some enterprise listeners as well, uh, and they can always learn from what these bigger companies do. So we are going to dig into all of that, but before that, we have one of these standard questions that we ask every single guest. And that is going to be, Brian, your perspective on business growth. Yeah, so my perspective on growth, I think, is uh, spans a number of different pers perspectives itself. Um, personal growth, organizational growth, product growth, process growth, all of it needs to continue to nurture and mature and um, continue to move forward. And I think that from an organizational perspective, your team members and the, the folks on the front line really need to understand, if they don't already, um, the role that they play in making your clock go tick-tock. Yeah. Uh, they need to really have um, an opportunity to express themselves in a culture where fresh ideas are welcome, uh, where constructive criticism is welcome, and uh, that uh, they're looking for opportunities to, to make things better. Uh, I think the biggest challenge we have with, with growth right now is um, frankly a little bit of change fatigue. You know, yeah. there's been so many initiatives that have been put forward, so many different dimensions in terms of how to um, continuously improve. Uh, that that's that's tough for um, for individuals that are are key users and uh, are super users. And so we have to be mindful of that and and make sure that we're we're including them in the change process and uh, really practicing change leadership instead of just uh, change management. I don't agree more. And uh, I guess for executives, when they look at the number of ideas and the initiatives, it's just overwhelming. 
And when we look at, you know, implementations as big as ERP, and when you are going to have a lot of countries involved in any of the large implementation, it could be a very frightening experience. Uh, And one of the things that you mentioned during our conversation is going to be setting the initial vision. So obviously, you have a very compelling story that you would like to share. So maybe we can dig into that. But then I also want to touch on to, you know, how you sort of set the initial vision. Uh, A lot of executives, uh, when I work with them, they really struggle, to be honest, because they are sort of at the 200,000 foot level, but that does not really connect, to be honest. Yes, from the vision perspective, you want to be there, but you have to have enough meat in that vision so that at least it is what the ground floor is trying to do. So, yeah, so two things. Maybe you want to start with the story and then touch on how you really set the vision for this uh, project that you embarked upon. Yeah. Okay. So, so the project I'm going to talk about today is is very large manufacturer uh, yeah. operating in more than 30 com- countries with manufacturing um, high high technology type of manufacturing involved, uh, as well as having more than a quarter million employees. So a, a massive organization, really. And what they had done over the past number of years was to take core transactional processes and put them into what we would call a shared services center. Um, regionalized. So they yeah. had uh, they had them in North America, they had them in Asia, they had them in Europe. And of course, at, out of those different organizations, you know, manifest a number of different variables in how the process might actually work. And some of them are statutory, of course. So we yeah. need to know and, and make sure that we're doing things uh, appropriately for legal reasons and compliance reasons. Um, but then a lot of it is, is perhaps also cultural and um, bad habits from this is the way we always did it right yeah and so i think that that story is is compelling to to understand and listen to because they they were fixated on from a very high level within the organization how to make things better how to make it more accountable and how to make sure that they were tracking and and reporting upon it i think one of their core tenets was if you can't report on it then you can't really measure the success or whether you've improved it so they spent a considerable amount of time on metrics and kpis and and trying to make sure that they understood um you know really where they were uh, at any given point in in their in their journey along this transformation process very interesting. So uh, let's talk about the metrics and KPI. And obviously, when you are looking at this massive organization, obviously, their problem is probably going to be having too many KPIs. <laughs> so I don't know if they had KPIs. Was there any insight that was missing? But typically, in my experience, I think the problem always with most organizations, irrespective of whether they are small or large, is going to be the data that they have is probably not accurate. And the reason why it is not accurate is going to be because you have foundational issues, because the way you're, you know, the, I don't know how the divisions were structured, how many different business models they, that they have. Uh, typically, yeah, right. it is going to be, okay, I'm selling one product in US, I'm selling one product in you, uh, uh, in, in Europe, but the skew that I may have is completely different. Now, because of that, the the insight is going to be completely different as well. Right. So what were the core challenges from the metrics and KPI perspective and what transformation did they really want to have uh, in those metrics and the KPIs? So a couple of things touch on the, uh, you know, the regional type of approach that uh, you were you were commenting on. I I think we live in this exceptionally intertwined global uh, economy and their their business is no different. Uh, They would sell 
essentially the same widget uh, to an Asian manufacturer as to yep. a, a European manufacturer. So they had a maybe a better opportunity to try to standardize the business processes that were core uh, finance um, capabilities. Yeah. The the challenge that they had with KPI specifically was that they had very manual processes. And when you get into finance transformation, people are, you know, the buzzwords of automation just seem to cloud the perspective of what uh, the objectives or the vision might be. Of course, we want automation. Of course, we want to take out non-value added tasks that, you know, um, that folks are doing. But that's not necessarily the core uh, overall ROI and value of a finance transformation project, right? right? There's so much more that comes with that. Um, you know, when you focus on automating accounts payable and you're looking at specifically um, automating the um, the capture of information from an invoice, yeah. um, you're, you're probably looking at one of the lower paid individuals in, in the business and trying to, you know, address their yeah, their their employment perspective and the cost that's associated with that. Yeah. There's, you know, the the touch points back into the business and the folks that need to manage this information and control the process and approve invoices. You know, now, you, now you're talking about managers and executives, and obviously price points go up. So it's important that we we focus on what is important. And over the last 25 years, the OCR vendors have done this great job of indoctrinating us into automation means. OCR and eliminating that type of work. Yeah. And true enough, that's important. But the KPIs that these folks were trying to measure, which was really straight through process, it was dependent on having a good business process that ensured that the purchasing process was correctly adhered to. Because when you post an accounts payable invoice, it's got to reference a purchase order or a goods receipt. And all that stuff needs to fit together to make for a touchless process. And so it's not simply about the capture, right, of the data on the invoice. And I think that's where a lot of organizations get caught up is, you know, the the automation is really super easy to measure and see yeah. and understand the value. Um, and the rest of it's more complex, but but the, the complexity is where really the payoff is. Yeah, could not agree more. So I don't know if you're going to have any specific examples of the KPI. So in this particular case, I understand yeah. that, you know, everybody tries to focus on, okay, I'm going to get this paper-based invoice. I am actually going to read from it and our life is going to be easy. But the real problem always is once you capture that data and that transaction is going to flow through your operational and financial systems. And that's where a lot of people are doing a lot of different magic <laughs> and that manual magic that yeah. you were talking about. And that's where, uh, you know, things fall through. And then finally, your analytics and KPI is actually going to be off. So in this particular case, I don't know if there was a global KPI that they were trying to measure and that did not add up to what they had at the regional level. So do you want to pick an example of the KPI and just walk us through the process of where the manual touch points were there in the KPI? Sure. So you, you can fix a lot of things with having an individual entering data on an invoice, right? There's a lot of what we would call tribal knowledge that happens within the organization as as these people have been long-term employees and they understand exactly how the business works. Yeah. The, the the KPI that they're looking for is, you know, what what's our percentage um, first pass yield? Yeah. Uh, meaning how many transactions are, are running through the system without somebody having to get involved. That's that's a technology application. The second piece is, okay, once it comes through, does it process automatically? There's always exceptions. Does it deal with the exceptions in an appropriate way? Does it manage um, the non-exceptions and, and post these transactions automatically? 
And then on top of that, what's my cycle time through all of yep. that? Right. And so then you can really start to focus on where the where the cost is in the process, how to take the cost out and how to manage um, across uh, the, the various um, shared services centers. And so their example was that, um, you know, they had a shared services center that was much more engaged and um, I would say in control of their process. Um, and they had another one that was less disciplined. And really, it was it was a challenge then to follow those those uh, metrics or those KPIs through because they might have more people um, that are are attending to the the transactions. Uh, so you had to measure the the actual cost of the investment of the human resource pool. Uh, versus the throughput as well. And so there was a number of things that you just didn't get out of the systems. That that, that was just something that wasn't, you don't have your headcount in your ERP necessarily, right? Yeah. And so you have to go in and, and you have to go back and download this into some data lake and then start massaging the data. And so that that was the, the primary problem they had to begin with was they didn't have consistent data. They didn't have consistent processes in place to really understand where the data may be um, telling a story or not. Uh, and then it was, uh, you know, a full-time job to aggregate it and, and report upon it. Out of the KPIs that you mentioned, you know, some of them are very new to me as well, to be honest, okay? So when you look at the percentage first pass yield, and those are, uh, you know, in my mind, slightly more technical KPIs than the business KPIs, uh, which yeah. are going to be cycle time. So when you are trying to measure the cycle time, then you are going to be looking at, okay, what are my dependent KPIs uh, that are going to be affecting my cycle time? So obviously this is very important, but I don't know how many ELP systems are going to be able to provide. So did you guys create any sort of the analytical workflows through which you computed this? Because you probably need infrastructure just to compute that KPI. So how did you guys came right. up with, uh, come up with these KPIs and how did you find data for that? So uh, in, in many of these solutions that are on the marketplace today, you know, it's a disjointed system approach, yep. right? You're using yep. one tool for doing the capture. You, you, you're handing it off then to another process or system that is doing the workflow and attempting to post. And within there, though, you know, there's always this ability to track. And the I would say a best practice is that as this um, transaction moves through the process, it's got a status associated with it. So that first pass has a status. Um, the auto post has a status. And it's date and time stamped uh, by the system. And so you can do some simple math to say, this is how long my cycle time is to move it from point A to point B. And then in addition to that, then if you're using status codes effectively, and that was part of the evolution of this project as well, uh, if you use them effectively, then you can get a really good sense of where the exceptions are, what type of exceptions you're dealing with on a regular basis and recurring basis, and then you focus your effort on that. Similar at a at a vendor or a customer perspective, if you're doing an AR project, uh, you know which customers are presenting you with challenges and deductions in their remittance processing, and you can start to report on that and then see the pattern and and the evolution of that. On the vendor side, similar, you know, if they're sending you, you know, very difficult to read invoices, um, then you know it's time to focus on that vendor and say, hey, you need to send me a digital invoice. Uh, or or some other form of communication here because we're spending a lot of time on your invoices and it's you know it's not meeting our vendor standards. So that those those KPIs in my opinion um, they they aren't necessarily standard out of the box 
But I think in this instance, this client did an exceptional job of understanding the data that they were looking for, how to track it, and um, and then how to ultimately prove the value and the success of the project because of their KPIs and metrics that they were valuing. Very interesting. So you are touching a lot on the shared services. And when you look at the SMB space, I don't know how many people really understand what shared services are, to be honest, from yeah, the sure. business process perspective, right? So uh, describe, okay, what is the importance of shared services? At what stage companies need to be thinking about shared services what are the best practices of the shared service model? So uh, the evolution of the shared services model was really one of labor arbitrage originally, right? Let's yep. let's take all these transactions. So if you had 30, 30 countries, 30 plants, you might have had an accounts payable clerk in each one of those plants processing yep. invoices. Yeah. And that didn't make sense, obviously, because then you've got a real disparate um, approach to the process. You've got no control. Uh, and no visibility to your liabilities, things like that. So fast forward to, okay, so now we start to outsource these things to low labor um, cost uh, countries and aggregating what is essentially very transactional type of, of processing, right? That was the simple stuff. Uh, and then it got to be that, okay, well, now we need to apply some business intelligence to that, right? Um, having somebody who really understands the process makes this go better and faster and we can use technology with that component piece apply some 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 good human interface to it who understands our business and then you've got a a far superior process so the the shared services center though for volumes of transactions like this this organization probably runs i don't know somewhere three four million invoices per year so that's a lot of transaction volume right you want to have that centralized in a process where you've got backup where you've got um, good standard um, leadership opportunity to make sure that the process is always adhering to your standards. Um, I think that in the SMB business, there's there's maybe an opportunity to look at your processes and say, yeah, these are transactional in nature. I want to focus my efforts on something that um, is is important to me, right? I, I have a, I know exactly what my cost of um, my human resource capital is. And these are the activities that I want them focusing on. These transactional types of things, if I can't get my process in line, then I want to outsource that and have somebody else do that for me, perhaps. And that's that's really the genre or the concept of the shared services was let's take these like functions and put them all into one place and make experts out of that team to do that. I think I think that's, that opportunity still exists within the small, medium-sized business. I think that what you want to do first is look at your process and make sure that the process is good. Is there value in applying technology to it? Uh, what's the investment horizon that you want to use? And if you still then want to manage that in-house, that's great. If not, there's there's organizations that you can outsource that work to, and you can focus on you know the core the core business that that's most important to you. Very interesting. So when I look at this model, so obviously one option could be the outsourcing it to somebody else, um, but shared service could exist even internally in the organization as well. And you provided an example where you said that, you know what, if you have, let's say I am doing business in 30 countries, I am doing in US, Canada, I have, you know, let's say the Philippines, Mexico, India, Brazil in the fold. If I have those countries, obviously the yeah. human resources cost is going to be slightly lower or far lower, depending upon the country you are talking about. Uh, you know, uh, and what you could do is you could actually outsource your shared services and the the activities that are going to be 
slightly more transactional in nature to those countries. Now, if you do this, okay, does this change, number one, your business processes, number two, your ERP implementation, because the way I am visualizing this in my head is going to be, okay, AR, AP, GL, hey, uh, you know, Philippines, you take care of that. Uh, because my cost is far lower, I am only going to be taking care of, I don't know, maybe, uh, you know, customer-centric activities, maybe manufacturing, if that needs to be near shore. You know, if I'm going to yeah. have manufacturing, I'm shipping that to China. Now, that changes the whole game. That, that changes the whole transaction, the way you are going to be worked. That also changes your supply chain entirely. Because, you know, if you are shipping, let's say, manufacturing to China, then you need to think about how my network is going to be, how you are going to be, uh, you know, shipping your raw materials and the finished goods and who's going to be producing what and how you are going to be planning across the world. So when you are looking at this kind of transformation, that changes everything. Did you guys have to go through this process when you were redesigning the the organization? Yeah, yeah and I've done that many times. Absolutely. Those are the conversations you have. Where, where are you doing business? What are you doing in those locations? Um, you know, what's statutory about those locations? So, um, you know, for instance, Italy used to... Um, have very specific requirements and still do uh, about the presentation of the invoice. Brazil and Mexico have their own requirements. China has their own requirements in terms of what needs to happen on that invoice, how that invoice needs to be processed. So while we want to get to a point where we could then take all of those transactions and go to where manufacturing is the lowest cost and processing these transactions is the lowest cost, we also still just need to make sure that we remember that we have like I think distinctive processes across these different uh, geographic regions, um, primarily because of statutory issues. So not not everything is the same. And so we have yeah. to be mindful about that. But then absolutely, I, w- once you understand and have put the process in place and you've got some technology that you wanna run on top and integrate into your ERP, then the next step is really, okay, what, what's the best organizational structure to manage this? So very interesting. So let's go back to the story, right? Because in this story, so what were their core transformational challenges? So you touched a little bit that, you know, okay, they have KPIs were missing, they wanted to have, uh, you know, a little bit more automation. And uh, so that's typically the, the underlying reason, but what else, did you guys find the opportunity that actually was the trigger for this massive rollout that now we need to change the entire ERP for 30 countries? So what were the underlying pain and, and, and the reasons? So uh, it it's typically boils down to, I would like to say, three different things. Okay. Um, the, fir- the first is cash flow. Okay. Uh, and so that cash flow, you know, you need to be in control of that cash. You need to know when that cash is coming due. You need to know exactly what your liabilities are. And you need to uh, ensure that you're in control of when you pay that out, right? Yeah. You want to post process that invoice mm-hmm. as quickly as possible. So that if somebody offers you a cash discount term, that you can take it. Yeah. Uh, if you've got a manual process and it takes 12, 14, 16 days to put an invoice into the system, uh, guess what? You, you can't take those cash discounts anymore. Right. And so you're, you're, you're costing your organization money by that. Um, second piece is really the expense or the cost associated with the process. Yeah. In in this instance, you're you're processing uh, multiple millions of invoices per year, and you're having somebody manually do that. And and maybe there's expertise, maybe there isn't. Um, that's a high cost of of personal uh, personnel uh, investment. And so then there's definitely a value in automating that part and making sure that you know the the capture piece and and the non-value added type of data entry goes away. 
and I would also say the generation of KPIs should become automated as well, right? So that you understand and, and this becomes a, a much more fluid type of a process. And the third is really about risk. And when you've got uh, a multitude of transactions that are being entered into a system manually um, across different regional areas with different varying standards, you have a significant amount of risk to that part of the business process. And I can remember that um, with another large um, multinational manufacturer in the automotive space that I worked with, yeah. they, uh, you know, that's, that's a just-in-time inventory process and, and similar to this one as well. Uh, when you're supplying a core piece of manufacturing uh, componentry uh, and there's, a, there's another manufacturing facility depending upon its timely arrival, you yeah. better make sure that you have paid your bills. And you don't want to be cut off by somebody and all of a sudden you can't make things work. And so this other manufacturer had that exact issue. You know, nothing was strategic about accounts payable until the electric bills weren't being paid and the plants were being shut down. And all of a sudden the chairman or the CEO gets involved and this becomes a very strategic process now. And so the, those three things of cash flow um, the cost of the process and the cost of the organization and the risk inherent in the process are what drives typically at least 90% of the projects that I see. Some of them are personal kind of things that people get involved in, but those are, those are the core things. That's what every single CFO understands and understands the value of, of these projects in, in transforming their business and, and what the drivers are. And in this instance, uh, no different. All three of those played a role. Um, because of the manual nature, the high volume of the transactions, the sensitivity of supplying their uh, their own um, customers with product and, and making sure that there is no interruption in their supply chain. Very cool. So when the discounts, right? That's always a tricky process. And obviously, right. as the finance guy, as the CFO, I would like to capitalize on every single discount. But, you know, when you are working with a very large global organization, if you really want to capitalize on vendor discount, what you need to have is, let's say if you're working with a vendor, and that could very well be applicable in the customer side of process as well. So basically, mm -hmm. let's say sure. if I am dealing with, I don't know, maybe my supplier is 3M or Rockwell Automation, okay, and I am dealing with them. Now, the ideal uh, scenario, if I really want to get all the discounts that I can possibly get from Rockwell, then I need to have very large corporate contract at the HQ level, and then they are going to be supplying to everybody whoever is buying, and then I have just one massive uh, contract so that I can I have far more negotiation power because I'm buying that much uh, from Rockwell, and obviously I'm going to get their attention overall. Now, to do that is a massive lift, okay? You literally need a hero, uh, you know, to bring all of these uh, entities in one fold, and then you need to convince them that, okay, we need to have one vendor master or the customer master that everybody should be using. Uh, okay, across the ERP, because that is going to slow sure. everybody down, because you need to have the yeah. governance process in terms of how the customers and vendors are added inside your systems. Uh, you know, it seems like a very technical problem, but it's very, very, very political problem, to be honest. Okay, and managing right. that requires a lot of uh, firepower. So in your experience, let's say if you're going through this process, have you come across this? Were you successfully able to manage, uh, you know, this change? And if you did it, how, how did you do it? Yeah, okay, so just to touch very briefly on the vendor discount, first of all, before you start soliciting and asking for those discounts from uh, you know, your vendors, you better be in a position to know that you can actually take them. 
Uh, and so a lot of organizations say, yeah, I want the discount, I want the discount. And then, you know, it's their day 20 on a, on a 10 day discount payment term and they still take the discount. Well, that just, you know, that just creates a lot of ill will with, with the vendor community. And so you don't want that. Um, but, but back to the, to the real issue of how to get these projects moving forward and the value and, and the ROI, I think is, is maybe where this is going as well. Um, you know, the cash discount can play a significant role in an accounts payable return on investment analysis. Uh, and if you choose, uh, I've created models in the past where I, I allowed them to see what that value could be by looking at you know, their transaction flow and what they've taken, what they've left on the table based on terms that they had. And then ultimately, uh, you know, what, we, what we would project that value would be moving forward. Um, and then we give them the option of including that or excluding that from their ROI analysis. And you can pay for a project based on cash discount terms. Um, so that that is definitely an important consideration that needs to be raised early on when we talk about visioning. Uh, you know, what are the drivers of the project? You touched on that as well. You know, what what's motivating um, these organizations to go through this? And then how do we take that message and make sure that everybody understands it? And of course, central to all of this is you have to have a foundational layer of master data that is, you know, rock star quality. I think that outside of that, you're really going to struggle. And I've dealt with multitudes of organizations that have grown inorganically. They've got, you know, um, three, four, five different ERPs that they're running, and they're trying to harmonize these at some point. And that master data initiative can be very significant. I think um, even even in the SMB world, you know, you probably could go to your uh, to your vendor files today and and look and see how many how many different FedEx accounts you have, for instance, yeah. right? Uh, if you got 10, 12, 14 different FedEx accounts or, or addresses, you're not going to automate that process yeah, because yeah. you're going to get a FedEx invoice and it's going to say, well, I don't know what vendor to put this to. And so I, I just see that there's that, that, that problem and that challenge is endemic across every organization. And the ones that get it right and um, really take the initiative to, to clean that up and, and make it effective have much greater returns on their project. Uh, portfolio. Yeah, so let's talk about that process a little bit in terms of the workflow. So let's say if uh, companies, sure, now they sort of understand the problem that, you know, even if I'm the SMB organization, probably I'm using two ERP, you know, even the SMB organization, they use multiple ERPs just because they might right. have legacy one, they acquired something sure. for distribution, then they are doing a little bit of manufacturing, the distribution cannot do manufacturing. So now they have two different ERP systems, even though you might not have two different legal divisions, to be honest. Okay, you, you right. may still have that, right? Yep. Now, when you are trying to streamline, let's say, the master data to capitalize on cash discount, vendor discount, uh, you know, obviously this process is, is trickier than, than than anybody can perceive how difficult that is, to be honest. Okay, so obviously you need to have the governance process. That is number one. But even if you have the guidelines and the governance process, you know, execution is always going to be tricky. And I think you did mention uh, in your example that one of the division in your story uh, was not as high disciplined. And then if they are not as high disciplined, meaning they have a room to play with the guidelines that the corporate is trying to send, and they are finding their own ways because there is a loop, uh, loophole in the guidelines, uh, and they they might be able to capitalize. So let's say if you were to set a governance framework for a company around master data, what would be your recommendation? How to start on this process, and how to make sure that it actually gets executed to come up with the ideal 
master data framework that you are trying to propose? I don't think I've seen a single master data project get approved, standalone. Um, and so what you have to do then is understand that obviously we're not going to eat this elephant all at one sitting, right? And so we're going to have to like chunk it up into different projects. And then I think that there's an expectation management issue here. You, you have to be really um, realistic in terms of how you go about managing this. And it goes back to what's the vision? What's the vision for the project? And if master data cleanup and trying to harmonize master data across systems, for instance, is part of it, okay, make sure that there's value in the budget or in the project timeline for that to happen. What I see happen is they want to manage some of that through the testing process. They get into testing and realize, okay, we got some issues, but we got to keep going because we got to hit the timeline. Yeah. And then it becomes a, we'll fix it afterwards. Yeah. Okay. Once we're live, we'll, we'll take care of all this stuff. And like you said, I think you use the word magic, right? Yeah. <laughs> so they, they think that this is where all the magic happens and then yep. all the master data is great. But it, it just doesn't happen like that. And so the reality, especially for mature organizations that have grown in organically and have got, you know, these multiple ERPs, you just have to be realistic that th there's a component piece that we need to set aside in terms of time, in terms of money, maybe in terms of an additional tool to help facilitate that process. And then we have to be really disciplined about how we want to, how we want to look at that. And it's not sexy. That topic isn't exciting for anybody. Um, but what it does is it does pay dividends down the road that in terms of being able to really improve upon the, the processes of essentially the cash, the near cash processes that are so critical. Very interesting. So when you are working with these large projects, what is your recommendation typically when, let's say, you are rolling out in 30 countries? Uh, you know, everybody has their own approaches in terms of how they like to uh, roll this out. But obviously, one thing that you don't want to do is, OK, I go live in 30 countries overnight and we are all going to have a very happy life. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is not uh, those two are, you know, incongruent. I, I think that um, when I when I think about just the master data alone, for instance, you yeah. know, that let, let's look at an accounts payable project. And one of the um, one of the KPIs they had was how effective are we at, at managing these straight through processes and, um, you know, making sure that the invoices are paid on a timely basis at a vendor level. And so you've got some massive vendors, right? You've got this 80-20 rule. 20% of your vendors probably represent 80% of your dollar value, if not invoice volume. Uh, so focus on those first. And so that's one way to address this. Um, get in there and look at the analysis of what the vendor spend is or what the customer remittance process is and focus on those that are most critical. And then make those as, as effective as you can. And that's exactly what they did here. Um, they went back and said to some of them, because this was using a new technology as well that was um, basically um, receiving digital data uh, in a different manner than what we had been happening before. And so they, they went back to some of the vendors and said, we, we need to have a different invoice file come from you. This is what it needs to look like. Well, you can't do that with 50, 60,000 vendors, but you can do it with 100 vendors or 200 vendors. And that made a significant difference in their KPIs by bringing those, those organizations along. And they could see it because they were tracking it at a vendor level basis. Interesting. So was that the qualifier for the countries to select when you rolled out in 30 different countries? Uh, so I don't know if this was really an ERP project, to be honest. I mean, that's what. Uh, no. So how, what is the process for, for rollout? So, so it's, it's not ERP, it, but okay. it was touching all aspects of this core finance process that was procure to pay. 
And what I would say is that they had a different impression of how they would roll this out originally. Uh, and as they got into it, they realized, oh, we've got some challenges in this particular shared services center. So let's look at, um, you know, a, a win on this other one here um, that we can control better, that we understand the business better, that's got a, you know, a, a more simplified, I think it was a simplified vendor grouping. But they, they had vendors that were across similar vendors or same vendors that were across all of these shared services centers, right? And so they still needed to like make this work for the vendor perspective as well. But they they did go back and say, this a global rollout, uh, you know, big bang isn't going to happen. So we need to stagger this. We need to get this, this process. And it was process as well as technology um, corrected first. Then we can go back and, um, you know, bring bring the others on board. And it was a much more rapid deployment than probably what we would have expected, given that they had put that much more effort into the first go live. Okay, amazing. So that's it for today. Do you have any last minute closing thoughts or remarks for our listeners? What I would say is understand, uh, you know, what the vision is about, what the drivers are of the project, what's the ROI, what's the senior leadership looking for, um, and can you measure it? And if you can measure it, then get ahead of this thing, um, start your change leadership and change management early, communicate often, and talk in terms of um, you know cost, cash, risk that people want to hear. They they want to understand the value that they're contributing to the organization. And then that change fatigue we talked about and some of the challenges. You will always have challenges in these projects, um, but you know you keep your eye on the on the ball and uh, keep moving forward as a team, even with your vendor group and uh, I mean the vendor that's supplying the solution perhaps uh, and your um, and your internal teams and. Uh, they can be successful and they can be rewarding and they can be fun to be on uh, and they can pay a dividend. Amazing. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be that finance is not the department that people typically think that, you know, there could be any opportunities or the transformation. But if you go back to your basics in terms of capitalizing discounts, in terms of how the finance processes are done, there are significant opportunities just from the cost saving perspective. On that note, Brian, I want to thank you for your time. This has been a powerful episode. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Pleasure. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Brian, head over to gain.com. It's G-E-I-G-N.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Sue Shaw, who shares her insights into how to succeed with large global rollouts for the oil and gas industry. Also, the interview with Bob Feathers, who shares his insights and lesson learned from a multi-site ERP implementation. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. 
For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.